one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we buy shit we don't need. Ideas are grateful. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Dr. John, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show. Thank you for having me, Anthony. I'm very excited for our conversation. You've written five books on diabetes, type 2 diabetes specifically, cancer, medical myths, information, and uh, you've created a number of, of resources that are really helpful for people dealing with these conditions. So I'm pumped for us to dive in and share some good stuff for the people. I thank you for having me. For, the, for those who aren't as familiar with your background, maybe you could give us a bit of your origin story or your background. I was born in India. I did my medical training in India. I went to Scotland for a year of internship. I came to the United States in 1970, did two years of inter uh, residency in pediatrics. Then I became a fellow in allergy and immunology. I'm both certified in pediatrics in the United States and Canada. I'm both certified in allergy and immunology. That is my uh, medical background. Then what else do you want to know? Well, so you, you've taken, you've created a lot of resources and assets to help people dealing with type 2 diabetes. And of course, cancer and, and, and medical misinformation, which we'll discuss. But maybe you could explain to us why, why type 2 diabetes? Why is this such a big challenge that people need help with? the type of reach that it's having, the impact that it's having on people's lives. What inspired you to write these books and help people with, with type 2 diabetes? During my medical practice, I came across patients who were diagnosed as type 2 diabetics, taking insulin to control their blood glucose level. We hear A1C below 7 still having complications of type 2 diabetes. If the treatment is correct, why should you have your kidneys damaged, your legs amputated, your vision damaged, in spite of keeping blood sugar normal? That is what got me interested. So you were seeing that the existing recommended medical treatment of injecting a hormone, insulin, into people dealing with type 2 diabetes was not effective, and they were still experiencing a number of side effects, not the least of which could be blindness. Yes. 50% of the people can have kidney damage in spite of keeping A1C below 7 using insulin. 25% will lose their eyesight in spite of keeping A1C under control. 60% of the people will have nerve damage. Two and a half percent will lose their legs to amputations in spite of keeping blood sugar normal. How can that happen in any other medical condition? If you have that kind of many complications, people will say there is something wrong here. Mm -hmm. But we are continuing the same treatment that for the last 80 years. It's impressive how many times this story presents itself 
where you look at the conventionally recommended medical treatments and their actual efficacy, and it's alarmingly bad, to say the least. All you have to do is to look at somebody is given insulin. First of all, if you are resistant to an antibiotic, the doctor will not give you the same antibiotic. Whereas in type 2 diabetes, you are told you are a diabetic because your body is resisting insulin. Mm -hmm. What does the doctor give you? If you inject insulin, the blood glucose level goes down. Where does it go? That's a good question. I mean, typically the glucose gets gets disposed of through the liver and muscles in a healthy individual. You, you've now got me wondering, if, right. you, if you inject someone who's not healthy with the hormone insulin, where does the blood glucose go? Where does it go? The brain? Right. It, the, <laughs> the key thing is it does not go out of the body. Yes, it does get out of the blood, but it does mm-hmm. not go out of the body. Right, right. Okay, so we have this this problem where what's being what we're being told to do isn't working. Now, I I personally take I've taken berberine for years, which is an herb that can be helpful for some people with elevated blood sugar and also has a good amount of research behind it for longevity. Um, and I recently restarted taking metformin or glucophage, the their extended release because of some of the the research and data that I've seen on how that can be helpful for longevity and cognitive performance and and glucose uh, disposal. What are your thoughts on metformin, having worked with people in person in much higher volume in this arena than I have? Well, it's funny you ask that question, because I had the question when metformin was first approved. I wanted to know how does it work? You can do only two things with glucose. Either use it for energy or store it as fat. Why? Because there's not a whole lot of storage capacity for glucose. Glucose is stored as glycogen. Mm -hmm. Liver holds about 120 grams and muscles hold about the same amount. Mm. Anything in excess has to be converted into fat for storage. Now, how does glucophage help? Does it increase your metabolic metabolism of glucose? In which case, you should exercise more, spend more energy. Do you feel the urge to exercise after you take glucophage? I usually have done my workout beforehand. I, I work out in the morning right. on an empty stomach, and then I only take the metformin ER with like lunch or dinner. So I've already done it at that point, you know? Right. But you don't feel the urge to exercise immediately thereafter, do you? No, probably not. No. So how does the glucophage cause lowering of blood sugar? You ask your doctor, he will not be able to tell you. He will say it is metabolized. Glucose is metabolized. What does that mean? That means the glucose is used up. By whom? If it is not for energy, there is only other role is to convert that into fat for storage. Every type 2 diabetic, if you look at their blood test prior years, you will so you will see increase in triglyceride level. Most people don't pay attention to the triglyceride, which is the fat that we store. That is what causes weight gain. If your blood glucose level goes up, before that happens, 
your weight start going up. After age 35, most of the weight gain come from fat, not from muscles, unless you are resistance training, not from bone density because your density is going down. And when the fat is filled up, glucose stays in the blood. And that is how you have high blood glucose level, not because there is anything wrong with your insulin. That makes sense. And you're explaining why low-carb diets like the paleo diet, uh, the ketogenic diet, even carnivore are so effective because you said you, you take when you when you consume carbohydrates as as carbs or sugar, whatever you want to call it, they get converted into glycogen in the body. But we have this limited storage capacity for glycogen. You can store a little bit in your liver. You can store a little bit in your muscle tissue. And anything in excess of that end up turning into fat. And if your carbohydrate intake is in excess of your storage capacity, your energy expenditure, et cetera, it's going to make you fat. So when we get people on these low carb diets, we kind of start getting this, this in and out flow back under control and more in sync. Is that, did that make sense? Or was my explanation off? Your explanation is right on. Let me give you an example. In the year 1900, Native Americans were brought to the reservation. They had complete physical examination, medical examination. Their number of people, 80 years or plus, per, per 100,000 population, was 10 times more than the white American at that time. Yet, these Native Americans had practically no type 2 diabetes or cancer. Now, think about it. What were they eating? They ate everything. Meat, egg, fish, vegetables, fruits, nuts. Were they, they eating a bunch one... of were they eating a bunch of uh, genetically modified Monsanto corn with glyphosate? Good question. What they did not eat was grain-based foods because they did not stay in one place to cultivate grains. They did not eat wheat, rice, corn only. Uh, wild corn, not cultivated corn. That's interesting. And now they have doubled the incidence of type 2 diabetes. 50% of adults in Pima Indians in Arizona are diabetic. The incidence of cancer in adult Native Americans is now double that of white Americans. Why? Because they have adapted to the, they adopted the local eating habits. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you mentioned the ketogenic diet. In my opinion, grains were never meant for humans. Otherwise, we would have had beaks to pick them up and the ability to digest the chaff. We don't. Yeah, they're kind of slave food. Okay, so we see this pattern of adopting the local eating habits. I mean, we've seen this in blue zones, too. The areas of the world where people live where there's more centarians, people that have lived in excess of 100 years than, than at other places where there's a greater concentration of that. Like Okinawa, for example, when fast food restaurants start moving into Okinawa, then the children and grandchildren start eating the fast food. And then all of a sudden they're dealing with type 2 diabetes and a lot of these chronic and degenerative conditions that affect other parts of the world. And, and the, the, the luster of that blue zone starts to lose it's shine. Do you see any solution for type 2 diabetes that does not involve 
modifying your nutritional approach. I should say that's and, great, and, and that's or exercise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let, let's look at it. Uh, the incidence is increasing along with the consumption of grain and grain flour-based foods. When is the last time you had a meal or a snack without a grain flour product? hundred years ago, right. the percentage of daily food energy that a person consumed from complex carbohydrate was less than 35% of daily food energy intake. Now, in developed countries, it is 50%, and developing countries, it is 70%. Mm-hmm. We are consuming so much more grain-based food energy. The body mm-hmm. cannot store it. That is the problem. I agree. And I read this book a while back by uh, Weston A. Price called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. And he was going and studying these indigenous cultures all over the world and Even without modern dental practices, they had immaculate teeth, their teeth were straight, their dental hygiene was phenomenal. And then as soon as they started consuming sugar and grains and these hyper-processed, hyper-palatable foods, particularly the category of grains that you mentioned, you would see it not necessarily in the individual, but their offspring. It was almost like the grains and sugars and processed foods triggered epigenetic changes that then got passed on to the offspring. And now we started seeing kids with crooked teeth, with dental problems, and not having the same degree of physical robustness as their parents. And that would include susceptibility to things like type 2 diabetes. There are two things that I want to comment on. One is, the you mentioned genetic change from transfer from parent to child. More than genetic change is more likely to be the habit, the food habit. Mm. Because genetic change takes hundreds of years before that is changed. But the food habits inherited from parents, the children start from childhood. Mm-hmm. They start eating complex carbohydrate-based foods from very young age, and that leads to that. The second second thing I want to comment on is the term sugar. There's a big misconception. Let me explain it this way. Any person who is diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, the first thing they do is stop eating table sugar. It makes no difference. Yet, they they believe that table sugar is adding to diabetes. If that's the case, all you have to do is to avoid sugar, your diabetes should get better. It does not happen. Blood sugar is glucose. Table sugar is sucrose. These are two different molecules. In sucrose, only 50% is glucose, 50% fructose. Whereas in a complex carbohydrate from coming from any grain, it is all glucose. If you take equal amount of table sugar, and a complex carbohydrate like uh, potato, the potato will elevate your blood sugar faster than the table sugar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. think about that. So you're saying people focus yeah. on the sugar because of a bad name because somebody can sell artificial sweetener. Yep. 
And, and and it's it's almost like a misnomer that we're calling it blood sugar so that it's easy to understand. Okay. So then people go, oh, my blood sugar is high. I need to put less sugar in my body. But grains are a much bigger problem than sugar. Exactly. That makes sense. You said it correctly. So yep. what do we do about this, Dr. John? What do we do about this problem we got on our hands? Well, all we have to do is to think about the percentage of food energy coming from your daily meal. If we can go back to the 35%, that's all you need. If you don't put something in the mouth that is absorbed into the body as glucose, how can your blood sugar go up? So you're saying a carbohydrate-restricted diet, avoiding grains. Well, you don't have to avoid it, but you have to... If you can cut down to 50% of what you are taking in right now, yeah, you'll be fine. You don't need any medication but to, to control your blood sugar. Control the carbohydrate part of your food. That's all it matters. Interesting. Yeah, and, and I think uh, there's, there's a lot of people who realize that the whole category of grains, not just for, for blood sugar regulation and glucose metabolism is a problem, but there's, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at what food category contains the most pesticides, it's grains. And, and you know, as someone right. who, has a, who has a father with Parkinson's and is well aware of the connection between pesticides and Parkinson's, I'm very conscientious about what I put in my body. So, yeah, I avoid grains not just because they're a highly immunogenic and allergenic food category, but also because they're the highest in pesticides and they screw up our blood sugar, our blood glucose, our blood glycogen, if we're going to be more <laughs> accurate with our vernacular. Well, just uh, just a correction, minor correction. Glycogen never stays in the blood. That is a storage form in, in the cell. In the blood is only glucose. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, well articulated. I'm curious. So, so it is, it is cleaning up our diet. It is decreasing, certainly decreasing the category of grains. For some people, eliminating grains entirely works really, really well. And especially when there's, I mean, there, I've seen some data that a single serving of grains, especially grains that contain gluten for someone who's gluten sensitive, can cause inflammation of the gut for a matter of weeks, not just days, which then it has a has a downstream effect of it's it's impacting your absorption. It's it's perhaps leading to other other problems. So there's there's a lot of reasons to take a closer look at grains. Let's talk a little bit about exercise. And, and, and I, I'm going to ask you in a few minutes what you eat and how you exercise, too, because I'm curious about that. Uh, but for people who are dealing with type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes or diabetes, what type of movement patterns and habits should they adopt? It takes a sip of water. The, it's the about to get serious. Is, <laughs> the first question is, what is the, your objective of doing exercise? If your objective is to lose weight, that's not going to happen. Why? One pound of fat has got 3,500 calories. 3,500. If you exercise one hour, as you get older, how many calories can you spend in an hour? 200, 300? So how many hours of exercise will it take to lose one pound of fat? And you are still eating during those days. 
So that is not going to happen. So if what that's, is if the that's how it works, <laughs> if, if we know for a yeah. fact that that's how it works, but we also, we also know now that there's, there's a difference between isocaloric and, and isometabolic. And, and when, it, when the body is in a very inflamed state, weight loss is more difficult. Whereas if, if the body is uh, not inflamed, weight loss works a little bit better. I totally get what you're saying. And, uh, and I know what you mean. And also consider the age factor. At an younger mm-hmm. age, you can do it. But as you get older, you cannot even keep up with the same intensity of exercise. Mm-hmm. So if you rely on exercise to control your body weight, you are going to be in trouble as you get older. Mm-hmm. Now, think about this. If exercise was necessary to control weight, every person in the nursing home should be gaining weight. Yeah, you don't see a lot of gyms in the nursing home. Right. So what is the role of exercise? Exercise is to condition your heart, your lungs, and muscles primarily. What does conditioning mean? Conditioning means you have got a reserve capacity. For example, lungs, we don't use, we use only 60% of the lung capacity for ordinary way of living. But with exercise, you are keeping the full capacity in condition when you need it. If you have to run because there is a fire or an accident or you have to mm. help somebody. Or the police. If your lungs are in condition, you can do it better. If you have a lung infection, you can face it better if your lungs are in condition. The same with muscles. The same mm-hmm. with heart. That mm-hmm. is the role of exercise. Okay, that makes sense. What's up, guys? Anthony here. And the reason I wanted to temporarily interrupt this broadcast is because, as you're probably aware, there's a good amount of time, energy, and financial resources that go into having a podcast like this and being able to bring it to you guys for free. And I was thinking about something fun we could do where I really like silver, I really like cash. And I want to bring you guys even more value. So what I thought could be fun is only if you've gotten a lot of value from the Biohacking Secrets Show, the Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus, my book, uh, coaching, working one-on-one with me, or any some, some sort of communication or product or service that we have put out, whether free or paid, if it's uplifted your life in a way that you feel exceeds the value exchanged between us, I'd like to invite you to make a donation to P.O. Box 7151, Deerfield, Illinois, 60015. That's P.O. Box 7151, Deerfield, one word, Illinois, 60015. And then with that donation, whether it's silver from Gainesville coins, you can even buy yourself some and then throw a little bit in in your package. It could be a cash donation. And along with that, or even independent of that, you don't have to donate. If you're not in a financial position to donate right now, I don't you know, want to take food off your table or anything like that. But the best part of all of this is if you could include a letter about, you know, just sharing any part of your story that you'd like to share about how we've had a positive impact on your life. Uh, Any question 
or maybe even, you know, one or two questions that you might have that you'd like my help with, I will then uh, put that silver or cash donation to good use. And I will share, we'll do an episode every once in a while where I share your questions. Uh, They can be anonymous if you guys prefer that. And then I'll give you your answers. And I thought it would be a win-win for everybody. It would allow us to keep doing these episodes for free, allow all of us to feel good about the energy that is exchanged for the value that, that we receive in our lives. And it could be a fun way for me to answer your questions and to add even more value. So if that sounds cool, uh, you can go to GainesvilleCoins.com. That's where I buy silver and gold and, and heavy metals and things like that uh, that are a little bit more let's say inflation resistant and uh, recession and depression resistant recession. I don't want to say proof, but resistant. And uh, you can go to GainesvilleCoins.com to check those out, or you could just throw some cash in with your letter. Handwritten is preferred. I just think it's a lot more intimate and a lot cooler. And again, that uh, can all be sent to if you feel called and only if you feel called to P.O. Box 7151, Deerfield, Illinois, 60015. I actually just just went for the first time and picked up a bunch of packages today, and I'm super excited to open them on the air with you guys and answer some questions and hear some cool transformational stories and testimonials and stuff like that. So I appreciate you being here. appreciate you being a part of this journey with me. And I got nothing but love for you. Much love for all you guys. And let's get back to the episode. Do you do you utilize along? So when you're working with patients and in your books that are on on diabetes, are you basically saying just cut your carbs down, get your carbohydrates under that thirty five percent, and you're good to go? Or are there other recommendations or frameworks that you suggest? Yes. You mentioned the native people having perfect teeth. And now think about it. In nature, can you think of a food that nature provides for an adult human being that he can get nutrients from without chewing? No. So I'm sorry. But I, I'm honest. I honestly missed the question, my friend. My mom was screaming in the background, and I muted my mic and said, "Mom, I'm recording. Can you please keep it down?" And then you asked a question, and I just heard, I heard absorb nutrients without chewing, and I was like, "I'm going to throw out a hail mary on milk." Okay, let me ask the question again. From mm-hmm. nature, can mm-hmm. an adult get nutrients needed in the body without chewing? What products? Can you eat that provides you provide you with all the nutrients you need, but you have you can get it without chewing? Ooh. If 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 you were to go back ten thousand years, it would get very difficult. Yeah, I can't. No, I can't. Were, right. I can't think of. I can't think of many. I mean, if you call sunlight a nutrient, there's there's you know there's some evidence there, but I don't think you could survive on just sunlight and air. Yeah, only and thing you can call is honey. Honey, Honey everything else requires... I'm going to add maple syrup. Maple syrup. Okay, that is fine, but you cannot live on that. You cannot get all the... Human body needs 100 
nutrients. You cannot get all of them from any food group or even one meal. That's mm-hmm. why you need multiple meals. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wrote the first book, Eat, Chew, Live. It's important because we are missing. That is one of the problems with uh, grains. How much can you chew rice, pasta, noodles, bread, cakes, cupcakes? When you stop chewing, you swallow. You eat more. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. So that is another thing every diabetic can concentrate on. What type of food are you eating? Concentrate on foods that require chewing. Mm-hmm. That way, see, one problem is you go to a dietitian and somebody tells you, okay, you eat so much com- carbo- complex carbohydrates, so much grain, so much vegetables, so many servings of fruit, so many. Now, when you sit down to eat, When you're hungry, do you know what nutrients your body is looking for? Not really. Not really. Then how can a dietitian know what you should eat? The food pyramid? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We we don't do that. We don't mess with that here. Right. So nobody only, but but look at this way. You, if you have a toddler, either a nephew or a child or a neighbor, Mm -hmm. do you know, if you observe them, their eating habits, you'll observe three things. One, they will eat only when they are hungry. Not because somebody offers them food, only when they are hungry. Second, they will pick and choose among all the items provided what they like. Third, when they are satisfied, they stop eating regardless of how much is left on the plate. Uh In short, they decide when to eat, how much to eat, what to eat, and they grow up normally. If they can do that, why can't we? We can. I I think it does require discipline to cut back on some of these manufactured foods that can feel like a disco party to our tongue and brain, but maybe aren't serving us nutritionally. And a lot of times it seems like when people start eating more vegetables and you know non-starchy green vegetables and some of these food categories that that are very helpful in terms of providing fiber and and prebiotics and that sort of thing but not necessarily spiking blood sugar they go through an adjustment period where the first few days they're like craving all the the drug foods you know that they that they're used to eating and then after like a few days maybe a week they're like Oh, I'm actually finding myself kind of looking forward to a salad, or I kind of feel like having some vegetables. Yes, you start tasting the natural flavor of foods and fruits. People go into blending and pureeing mm-hmm. food so that they can get more nutrients. But how do you know when to stop or how much to take? The quantity control. Mm-hmm. Just to give you an example. If you are thirsty right now, can you predetermine how much water will it take to quench your thirst? I cannot. Nobody can. And how long will it take to quench your thirst? How many sips right now if you take it? It's kind of a feeling out process. I would, I'd, I'd start you with five or six. You are yeah. Right. And by the time you finish drinking, your thirst is quenched but the water is still in your stomach. It has not been absorbed yet. So how did your brain know you had enough? If you have been having a workout 
in a hot day, you will drink more. How did the brain know this is the actual amount that your body needed at this time? That's a good question. That if, if I blindfold you and give you something to drink, you will know immediately whether it is water or wine or coffee or beer, right? How do you know that? Taste buds, past experiences. Exactly. Neurological associations. The taste, the yeah. taste buds are telling the brain not only what you are drinking, what I what I'm suggesting is they are also metering how much is going down. Mm. When the intake matches the deficit which your subconscious brain already knows, the con the brain creates a sensation of satisfaction. That is why you stop. For eating, if you chew, the rate of release of nutrients will be at a level where the receptors can pick up, inform the brain how much has gone down, and you the first bite tastes so good, but after a few minutes, the same food does not taste as good because the intensity of your enjoyment has gone down. That is the time to stop eating. That is what toddlers do. It also raises an interesting question around if, <clears throat> so we have this going on with our taste buds, perhaps this, this other role of taste buds and satiety as it pertains to food and water it may exist, which, which I could see, but then it also, so if we're seeing that, that conscious and even subconscious awareness is an important part of the satiety process. It makes you wonder what happens when someone is rushing to eat a meal. They've got their their food in one hand, their phone in another hand. You know, maybe they're driving a car too <laughs> down the highway. I'm just giving examples of so many times people are driving and eating on their phone and eating and there is uh, our our consciousness whether or even subconscious awareness is diverted away from the, the 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 feeding process that has to affect our metabolism and those satiety signals absolutely that is precisely the basis of my book eat chew live because you have to concentrate so there is no other activity a human person can do multiple times a day and enjoy. Even sex, you cannot enjoy so many times as you can with food. So yeah. enjoy it. That is your personal enjoyment time. Nobody can take it away. Don't, don't let anybody. You concentrate on mm -hmm. enjoying because in, in the body, visual signals always take precedence over everything else. So if you are concentrating on something else visually, eating becomes automatic. I was listening to this this book. Well, it was actually, it's an audio book, but it's taken from some of Napoleon Hill's lectures in like the 1930s, I believe. He's the guy that wrote Think and Grow Rich and The Laws of Success and, and uh, Outwitting the Devil. And it's called in his own words. And he refers to the process of eating as, as a, as a spiritual and celestial experience, a time for you to give thanks, to connect with your creator, whatever, whatever belief system you subscribe to and to really slow down and make that a special moment each time it occurs. No distractions, complete presence, gratitude, 
And I, I've, I've been working on uh, not working. I've been applying that more in my life and finding it to be a huge biohack, if you will. I could not have put it any better. You just said it exactly what it should be enjoyed, mm-hmm. accomplished. If you do that, you won't have all these so lifestyle conditions. Mm-hmm. How many of your patients with type 2 diabetes are on metformin? Well, I don't treat any. I'm retired now for 14 years, 15 years. Okay. Uh, and I don't treat diabetics. But the number one selling anti-diabetic medication is metformin all around the world. Mm-hmm. Yet, there are no long-term studies, controlled studies to show the incidence of complications from diabetes will be reduced if you take metformin. There are none. It is not, it, will, it may control your blood sugar, but what does that mean? Elevation of sugar is only a symptom. It is like controlling fever. If you control fever, are you controlling the infection? Yeah, you might actually be interfering with the healing process if you try to control the fever. Exactly. So, so what, it, what this does is give you a false sense of security. Yeah. And you don't make the necessary lifestyle eating habit changes that you need that you can prevent you from having even needing medication. Right. So for someone like me who's taking metformin extended release strictly for longevity benefits. I've had, I have no issues with glucose and, you know, I train, I work out six days a week. Have you seen any evidence that metformin could be dangerous? Well, the, the problem is how does, what is the mechanism of work? How does metformin work? Every drug has to be detoxified in the, or almost all of them in the liver. So the more you put into the body, the more the liver has to work on it. And sometimes it can damage the enzymes, the workers in the liver cells. So that is one thing. The second thing is, yes, you have an objective. You want to live long term. Is there a control study to show people on metformin lives longer than anywhere anyone else? Because most of the studies, there is an association. Mm -hmm. Those who take metformin a longer life. But is it because of metformin? Or in the awareness of metformin allows you to eat better or more healthy. Is it because of your rest of the habits? If you are exercising, if you are eating right, do you need metformin? Again, as I mentioned, the Native Americans, when they were brought to the reservations, there were 10 times more people age 80 plus compared to white Americans per 100,000 population. 10 times more. They did not take metformin. They also weren't getting microwaved by uh, their cell phones and computers and towers everywhere, which I, which I wanted to, that, yes. to bring up because so there's there's a study called Dirty Electric. It's, it's from um, 2008. And it's called Dirty Electricity Elevates Blood Sugar Among Electrically Sensitive Diabetics and May Explain Brittle Diabetes. Specifically, that based on estimates of people who suffer from symptoms of electrical uh, hypersensitivity, which is, you know, up to 35% or more, 
As many as, as 60 million diabetics worldwide may be affected. Exposure to electromagnetic pollution in its various forms may account for higher plasma glucose levels and may contribute to the misdiagnosis of diabetes. I just want to say that last part one more time, and then I'm going to kind of talk to you about it because we're, we're living in this electrical soup now. And everyone is talking about diet and exercise, and no one is talking about the role that this electricity plays in in elevating plasma glucose. So one more time, exposure to electromagnetic pollution, which is our phones, our Wi-Fi routers, the towers, the smart meters on our homes, in its various forms, may account for higher plasma glucose levels and may contribute to the misdiagnosis of diabetes. What are your thoughts on that, Doc? The anytime there is an association mm-hmm. of electromagnetic field and uh, high blood sugar, it's only mm-hmm. an association. It is not a proven fact. In order to prove it, you need to show a mechanism, and mm-hmm. you need to have a measurement. For mm-hmm. example, what is the mechanism by which an electromagnetic wave can change the use of glucose for energy. Is there any evidence? Those who are exposed to it more have less energy. Is there any evidence for dose relationship? If you higher the level of exposure, the higher your blood sugar. Is there any evidence? Or if you take away the exposure, will your blood glucose level get better if you take it away for two months, three months, six months. Unless you have that kind of data, it is only an association. An association does not prove causality. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Let's talk about cancer. When if you're at a if you're at a cocktail party and I said, Dr. John, what is cancer? How do you respond? Cancer is a very simple disease. Most people are afraid of cancer because they don't understand it. The more you Mm -hmm. understand, the less apprehensive you become, the more proactive. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's start with cancer. Let me give you the example. When you got a cut in the skin, stem cells at the base of the skin produce new cells until the neighbors meet again, healing the wound and the new cell production stops. In other words, the stem cell produced new cells based on a need, a demand. Now, in cancer, there's no need or a demand. The stem cells keep on producing. There's no stoppage. That is cancer. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, how did the cell learn to divide? What is the mechanism? How did it learn? You have to... Think about it. You have a one house. If in order to build a new house, you need a plan, you need construction material, you need energy, you need workers. All of mm-hmm. this is me. How did the cell learn that? If you were asking me, I would say toxicity. No, the toxicity is the cause, but the cell itself mm-hmm. has to work at it, has to gather the material and mm-hmm. know how to do it. You have to have, have, to have a plan. It has, mm-hmm. it has, the cell has to be completely surrounded with the membrane and have inside stuff. It needs to have a plan. Who gave mm-hmm. the cell the plan to divide into two? Mm. If we go far enough back, I'd say God. Yes. Or, or are you talking about we, DNA? God, DNA and RNA? Right. But how does it 
let me back up a little bit. Every mm. human being is a product of a one single cell. Mm-hmm. That's original stem cell that was created when the sperm fertilized an ovum. Mm-hmm. That's called the zygote. One cell mm-hmm. that produced 30 trillion cells, which is in a baby. Mm-hmm. Now, the in- most interesting part for me is the fertilization does not take place in the womb. It takes place in the fallopian tube where, through which the ovum is traveling. Once it is fertilized, it takes six days of journey through the tube to reach the womb. Do you know how many cells are in the zygote or in the embryo by the time it is implanted? I don't. Make a guess. Six days? Well, it's exponential. So it's, 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 it's exponential, so it's probably a lot more than I would guess, but I'm going to probably say over 100. There are 200 cells. You are very close. You 200 cells. Now, think about it. This zygote is not attached to the mother. It is traveling. Mm-hmm. How did it know to divide and keep dividing until there are 200 cells by the time it reached the womb? That signal came from internally. Mm-hmm. But it is a controlled multiplication. Everything is controlled. In the womb, mm-hmm. each one of these 200 cells become a stem cell for an organ or a system. Mm-hmm. That's why we have 200 different types of organs and cells in the body. And then after that time, it responds to a demand. Then only it multiplies. It does not multiply on its own. If that happens, that is cancer. Interesting. Interesting. What treatment options exist for cancer? Because it seems like well, the, sl- the slash and burn approach is, is, is a lot like injecting insulin for a diabetic. Well, that, that reminds me, Dr. President Biden has this moonshot that to control cancer. I wish his objective will be more how to prevent rather than treat because most of the money is going towards finding new treatments as you just mentioned. We are putting a lot of chemicals and radiation into the body without knowing what exactly is going on. Why are we having increased incidence of cancer? Every cancer cell in order to divide needs raw materials to construct new cells workers to do the work, and and a source of energy. Muscles can use either glucose or fatty acid to produce energy. It's like a hybrid engine in a car. Mm -hmm. Whereas cancer cells, most the vast majority of them, preferentially use glucose as their energy, as the fuel to produce energy. What if we reduce the availability of glucose to these cancer cells? Wouldn't that slow down the multiplication? Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, the maximum number of precancerous cells in the body is when you are in your mother's womb. But 99% of them are destroyed by our immune system before you are born. So cancer happens when there is an imbalance. Either the immune system is weaker or the cancer cells are multiplying faster. That makes a lot of sense. And it also accentuates the important 
the, the, the importance of maintaining a robust, uh, innate and adaptive immune system and not, not exactly. just, ba- not just bathing in hand sanitizer and putting a diaper on your face. I wanted to ask you before we kind of, well, is there anything else that you feel compelled to share about cancer? Because it, I, I look at this as something where if we rely on the experts to save us, we might be waiting a very long time. But like you said, an ounce of prevention is, is worth a pound of cure. So rather than treating cancer, we should be asking, how do I not get this in the first place? What, what do you recommend? Exactly. Well, again, let me go back to the example of the Native Americans. When they were brought to the reservation in 1900, the experts could hardly find any cancer. They could not find. So the Royal Society from England sent a team of doctors to examine the Native Americans, and they could not identify why the, the incidence is so low. They assumed that Native Americans are naturally immune to cancer. But now the incidence of cancer in Native Americans is double that of white Americans living in the same area for the same 100,000 population. Why? I believe it's because their diet changed to a great amount of food energy taken by complex carbohydrate from grains, which gives a lot of glucose for the cancer cell to multiply faster. And in addition to that, elevation of glucose will produce more insulin release in the blood or from the pancreas. Insulin stimulates the work of every cell, including cancer cell. Insulin wakes up the enzymes for construction of new cells and make them go faster. That is why the incidence of colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, and endometrial cancer is higher in type 2 diabetics than in non-diabetics. So it could actually be this simple. Yes. Lower it, lower your yeah, carbohydrates, it, especially your grains, and you can protect yourself or at least reduce your risk of getting cancer and type 2 diabetes. And obesity also. 60 years ago, we had the Green Revolution. About 20 years later, we started the obesity epidemic. 15 years later, we had the type 2 diabetic epidemic. And now we are in the cancer epidemic. All because of we are feeding these problems with grain-based foods. Which I think, personally, I think also ties into the great poisoning we are experiencing with genetically modified foods and glyphosate and radiation and fluoride in the water. But don't get me started on that. We'll have a whole other episode on our hands. Last question and then i'll kind of turn the mic over to you so you can let our listeners know where they could they could stay up to date with things you're working on uh dr john do you believe in god if yes why if you are what if yes why why do you why do you believe in god if yes there are there are two definitions of god first of all there is a original power source that produced the universe and if you, if you want to call that power source God, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that because you have to know to believe in something. 
there is a second God that was created by humans, especially religions, because they, they, that, that God is the one that controls your destiny and rewards you or punishes you. That is the second definition of God. I believe in the first one. Yeah, but me too. The second one, yeah, I, I, I don't have any proof of that. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit like uh, control the population so they don't go run in a muck, you know. Anyway, Doctor John, this has been a blast. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Your wealth of knowledge. So your website is drjohnonhealth.com. Drjohnonhealth.com. Is that the best way for our listeners to stay up to date with things you're working on? Yes. I have animation videos, 10 to 12 minutes each on obesity, diabetes, and cancer, and what we can do. So simple animation videos that will give you, that will explain what we were just talking about. Lovely, lovely. Guys, if you have enjoyed this episode and the value that Dr. John has shared, share this episode up. Give it to your friends, family members, coworkers, people with type 2 diabetes, people battling cancer, people who have had cancer, anyone who is interested in health and high performance and biohacking. Dr. John, thank you so much for coming on the Biohacking Secrets Show. I had a blast. I enjoyed our conversation, and we'll have to do it again. Thank you, Anthony. I thank you for having me, and I thank you for people like you for spreading information so that people can think about it. The first thing is each individual has to take charge of his or her own body. And then ask questions. If you are a diabetic, if you are given insulin, why am I giving given insulin? What happens to the glucose that goes out of my blood? Where does it go? Things like that. If you don't ask questions, you don't get answers. I agree. As you may already be aware, my specialty is working with entrepreneurs, Olympic athletes, executives, and high achievers to help them unlock ultimate performance in body, mind, and spirit. If you want to lose fat, build muscle, activate untapped brain energy, and feel 10 to 15 years younger, my proprietary coaching process is the secret behind many of the world's top performers. Here's how it works. Over 24 weeks, I will walk you step-by-step through a personalized process that utilizes your blood work to build you a custom game plan for taking your physical and mental performance to their maximum potential. I believe in testing, not guessing, and have proven time and again that personalized results crush anything that you could achieve following the one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter programs that litter the internet. With regular one-on-one coaching calls, I'll guide you through a personalized process for achieving massive, unparalleled results in your life. My proprietary process includes blood labs, testing, and advanced health diagnostic tools, upgrading your metabolic engine, personalizing your nutrition, optimizing your sleep, upgrading your cognition with brain-targeted supplements, smart drugs, and peptides, balancing your hormones, building strength and muscle mass, detoxing heavy metals, pesticides, and toxic chemicals that can slow you down, building resilience and bulletproofing yourself against stress, 
integrating time-restricted eating uh, through advanced fasting protocols, increasing oxygenation and supercharging your immunity, and of course, tracking and monitoring your progress with science-based tools and expert accountability. We also leverage personalized biohacks that will help you to achieve your physique and cognitive goals faster than you thought possible. And on top of all that, for a limited time, I'm offering three special bonuses that you get to choose based on your desired results. So you pick three from the following five options. Bonus option number one, upgrade sexual health, libido, and performance. Bonus option number two, get rid of pain and recover like an athlete. Bonus option number three, get rid of parasites, candida, Lyme, mold, and chronic fatigue. Bonus option number four, get more youthful looking skin, thicker hair, and healthier nails. And bonus option number five, fix your gut and optimize digestion, which ties in very well with bonus option number three. There's no faster, more effective way to tap into your full potential, get in the best shape of your life, and have your brain consistently firing on all cylinders. To apply for one of these limited half-off spots, go to www.biohackercoaching.com, B-I-O-H-A-C-K-E-R-C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com, fill out the short form and grab a time for us to talk. Full disclosure, I'm offering half off in part because we're building some cool new case studies and success stories that we can showcase in a infomercial style project that we're working on. So if you're at all on the fence, I encourage you to fill out the short form and grab a time for a free consultation with me to see if it's a fit. After you've applied, you can also text me to request to have your application moved to the front of the line. And that number is 847-989-3743.